Hello everyone. Today's episode, you are truly in for such a rich treat. And I want to invite everyone to really take the time to listen to this episode in its entirety. Even if you need to break it into parts, I know it's a long one, but it is so rich with so many profound insights and perspectives that might trigger you, that might challenge you, that might crack you open, as I know they have for me. We cover such a wide range of topics that I believe are essential explorations for healthy, fulfilling, passionate relationships, a more harmonious world, and healthier, more radiant women. So this episode really applies to both men and women. It is such a treasure trove of deeply profound insights. And Sri Namaste is truly such an incredible channel, an incredible woman who has already taught me so much. And so much has shifted in the way that I relate with my energy, my vitality, my work, my femininity, and in my relationship. So I really encourage everyone to enter this episode with an open mind and curiosity and to allow yourself to receive the potency of this transmission in full. I would love to hear how this episode lands with you. Please feel free to reach out and share your insights and breakthroughs. If there's anything that really stands out to you that you want to reshare in social media in your stories, please do. And please share it with someone you love, who you think it could really support. This is a very special episode that was such a joy to create, that is so near and dear to my heart. And I humbly offer it to you with such sincerity and gratitude for the experience to connect with Sri Namaste and offer her wisdom to all of you. Enjoy. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to Nectar, Sex, and Soul. I'm your host, Soraya Leonora, and I'm a holistic sex and relationship coach. This is a chance for us to get intimate, to reach far into the mystical, magical, erotic, tender, inspiring, vital, primordial depths of what it is to be human, what it is to express and inhabit these amazing bodies fully, and what it is to make love to the divine in everything we do. We'll be penetrating deeply into the nectar of what it is to be alive and turned on by life, how to transmute pain and hardship into pleasure and medicine, how to embody the union of polarities, including sex and spirit, and how to love every piece of ourselves wholeheartedly. This is a space where we don't just talk about the act of sex, but rather how sexual energy permeates every area of our lives as the seed of creation and the source from which we all came. Exploring sexuality in this way not only takes our sex lives to the next level, but is a catalyst for a life that turns us on in each and every moment, not just in the bedroom. Within you stirs a sexual vitality that is capable of so much more than you could possibly imagine. This is what we explore on Nectar, Sex, and Soul. Thanks for coming to play. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Nectar, Sex, and Soul. I am your host, Saraya Leonara, and I am just beaming today. I'm grinning ear to ear over the guest I have here today. I have a very, very special guest who I am so excited to drop in with and share her wisdom with all of you. Um, this is a woman who I really 
was just taken by her the moment that I first came across one of her videos. She was speaking out against um, cancel culture and just speaking to empowerment and speaking your truth and sovereignty and these things being an inside job. And she was just so eloquent and powerful and, and just, just in her power, so deeply embodied and fearless in the way she speaks her truth. And I resonated with her so deeply. I admired her so much for that. And this was a couple of years ago. And in the past few months, I started watching some of her videos, listening to her podcasts, and I found myself both totally inspired and also at points very triggered and challenged by some of the things she was saying. And, you know, I know it's it's the trending thing to um, cancel people when you disagree with them or when they uh, say something you that offends you. Um, and I'm, I'm quite the opposite. I'm very against cancel culture. And I really love when somebody can challenge me in that way. And being somebody that is so steeped in the work of relationship and polarity and these kinds of dynamics, it, it doesn't happen so often that I am challenged in, in such a deep way as this woman has done for me in the past few months. And so she has cracked open some new ways of thinking within me and shifted some perspectives and helped me to look at myself and relationship and how I see things in this world in some really new and powerful ways. And so I am so excited to get to dive in deeper with her today. Uh, I present to you Sri Namaste Moore. She is a feminine channel and she and her husband, Baba Richard, they do amazing work together. And I'll let her speak to that um, in just a minute here. But I just wanna say thank you so much for being here. Sri Namaste, it is such an absolute pleasure to have you here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It is. Truly an honor and a privilege to spend some time with you and see what wants to come up and come out and and challenge us both. Yes, <laughs> in the process. And so I'm 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 really looking forward to offering um, value, insight, awareness, um, and just things to masticate on for you yeah. and your audience as well. I love that so much. I think that's really what makes for a super juicy conversation and just so many riches to to be discovered when there is a little bit of that kind of like, ooh, that creates a little bit of tension in me. Let's explore that. Let's unpack that. So, yes. Yes. I'm, I'm very excited. Um, is there anything you would like to say about who you be in this world uh, <laughs> to, to share with the audience? Yeah. So I always like to give people a little bit of context. Um, as far as where I speak from, because if you understand the context of a person, you understand a little bit more about where they're approaching these vast realms of, of subjects and topics that we are engaging with. So um, I have eight adult children. Uh, we are a blended family. And so we have five, five men and, and three uh, women. <laughs> who we have raised, um, and we grew up, both my husband and I grew up in the church. We are currently not, we always say we're non-religious, but absolutely spiritual. Mm -hmm. So we are ordained ministers. Um, we speak multiple modalities and multiple uh, constructs or, or paradigms, if you will, when it comes to approaching spirituality. And I did not learn or engage with or begin my journey, if you will, um, with the feminine from the lens of young 
although I love Carl Jung and his mm-hmm. perspective, um, I, I realized much later that much of what was considered masculine and feminine in the world came from that school of thought. And while mm-hmm. I have studied his work, that's not how I began my journey. Um, mm-hmm. She spoke to me. And she uh, told me that it was my job, that's why I came here, was to return the feminine to women. And so the insights that I have, while I can talk about the history and the the sociological uh, implications and things of that nature from a more academic perspective, my heart and, and my being resides in an embodiment of as opposed to an academic looking upon. And I think that understanding that um, kind of helps to inform upon where I approach it from. It's always from the embodiment place first. Yes. And then later, you know, society and, you know, civilization and all of that good stuff. But embodiment first. Yes. I yeah. love that. And that that is the feminine is the embodiment. And yes. I, I love the way that you embody her and the way that she speaks through just your very presence so thank you thank you yeah very potent and also i'm i'm always just continuously blown away by the fact that you two have eight children and still like what you bring through in the world it's it's so impressive and i'm definitely wanting to ask you about some of that uh, later in the episode today (laughs) and that you're still just absolutely radiant and stunning and I, i don't think anyone would believe that you've had eight children in, in your in your arms <laughs> in your lifetime. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I think that context is is really beautiful and helpful. And you know, one of the things that I have been pondering and navigating in my own life and it, with a lot of couples that I work with that mm-hmm. kind of drew me to your work is seeing how um, I feel like in many ways feminism kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater and that there were things that needed to be refined. There were ways that women were not able to be fully expressed and and were being oppressed. And there was maybe some outdated things Mm -hmm. uh, related to gender roles and and this sort of thing. But I feel like a lot of these... um, gender roles and these dynamics that have existed in relationship are there for a reason you know they've they've worked for a long time and maybe some of them got convoluted or distorted along the way mm-hmm. um, but biologically right. we do operate very different as men and women and we have a different way that our energy works and mm-hmm. I think that you know feminism it, it served a, an important purpose and I think in our modern society, there are a lot of people who are confused about what is my role in relationship and how do we navigate polarity dynamics. And to me, I see that feminism almost gave women a permission to be men in the world, but not to really do things in a feminine way that is celebrated and valued and honored and respected. And I see a lot of women went from being like, okay, I'm a mom and I do all the domestic things and Mm -hmm. now I'm an entrepreneur and instead Mm -hmm. of any of that being taken off my plate I just do it all now and now I'm this super mom that is constantly in a masculine go 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 do 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 energy and I see all these women who are so burnt out um 
myself included, I've gone through major burnout in starting a business and, and even before that, just um, being conditioned to be very in my masculine energy, to be an overachiever, to focus on accomplishments and what that has done to my body and what I've seen it do to so many other women who are tired. Um, you know, they they get issues with their reproductive systems, their hormones, um, mm -hmm. they lose their libido. There's there's so many things that come along with that. And mm -hmm. and then meanwhile, there's there's also distortions and like sometimes you have these boss bitch women who are on a mission and they they want to do it all and they also want a man to ravish them and mm -hmm. they're wondering why they can't find this man <laughs> to meet him meet them right. but right. they're taking up all the space by right. being in their masculine energy all the time and they can even be very emasculating to the men in their lives without realizing they're doing it and then wondering why do I not have this man to push me up against a wall and take me um when I I, I can't actually soften into a place to to receive that so these are kind of some of the things that i have seen unfold in many different relationships and i'm I'm curious what is your perspective on feminism and modern relationships and how all of this is unfolding yeah um i believe that first wave feminism held a specific a desire mm -hmm. um, at the Seneca Convention. They had very specific things that they wanted to see changed, laws and legislation um, more specifically that they wanted to see change, all mm -hmm. of which has been done. Mm -hmm. And then when all of that was done, there was an evolution into, well, no, now we need to change it into something else. And what I see with that is, so then you had second wave and third wave. And, you know, what I see with that is two things. One, when my children were young, one of our children, a couple of our children are dyslexic. And I can remember speaking to, um, they had an actual doctor of dyslexia. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that was her position at, in, her, in the school district. And she said, our intention is to work ourselves out of a job where our position as people who support children with dyslexia is no longer needed. And so we don't, we no longer have a job. And I thought mm -hmm. that is beautiful and brilliant. And anyone who works in any degree um, of social justice or civil rights or anything in those lines, that must be the goal mm -hmm. is that I will eventually have no job, have no position. And if you don't have that mindset, then what you do is as soon as one desire is met, you find another one and another one and another one. Because fundamentally, as people, we have a desire for place and purpose mm -hmm. and value. And so everything that is alive wants to stay alive. And we as women have enlivened feminism. Um, so that it is now just a hungry monster that is never full. And the promise of it was that it would make women happy and women would find fulfillment and freedom. And my own personal experience, having worked with thousands of women and talked with women globally, all you know, races, uh, nationalities, religions, ages, um, and having spoken to them, 
what I found is that whenever feminism shows up, women's happiness goes down. And it's the most, so while there's a promise hosted in feminism that says we will, you need us because we will help you find your fulfillment and your happiness, effectiveness is the measure of truth. Mm. So ultimately, are women more happy? And we can find this statistically. All you have to do is look at the the statistics as far as mental health, emotional health, divorce rates, happiness in relationships, happiness in in um, as uh, mothers, happiness on the job, ha- fulfillment through education. And you see that women, these opportunities are going up. The power is going up. Position, women control 60-something percent of all the wealth in the United States. Most women don't realize that. And, wow. it's, and it's set to be in the 70 percentile in the next couple of years. Wow. And so all of these things are going up, diminishing for men, but going up for women. And yet you also see that women are more and more unhappy. And so there's obviously a, a disconnect there somewhere. It, it promised something that it could not fulfill. And so what I like to encourage women to do is to return back to themselves mm-hmm. instead of seeing feminism as a savior because it failed. It, mm-hmm. it failed as a savior of women. Um, I think the things that we needed socially in our country, at least in Western countries, um, uh, have been fulfilled. And so it's time for us to return to ourselves. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, and the emphasis on kind of working yourself out of a job that was that was something I've, I've said at points um to to clients is like i my intention is to render my job obsolete like for you to have the tools that you need to go and continue this work without me so that it's not a it's not a um, dependency or anything but you are empowered to have these tools to do the deeper work and it's really interesting that you speak to that piece because i do see how it has snowballed into often this very disempowering way of looking at things where if we are constantly blaming and shaming and pointing fingers at the men <laughs> it's it's not actually bringing us to where we want to be and i think sometimes that's where a lot of women can get lost in like what are we actually trying to create here are we yeah. trying to create harmony and compassion and understanding between the sexes or are we trying to blame men for everything and and rise at the expense of them and mm-hmm. <laughs> and then and then we're still going to be complaining that there's no men to meet us where we want to be met because we've exactly. kicked them down <laughs> exactly exactly and that's what happens right it's mm-hmm. like the higher i think it was jordan peterson that was talking about you know the higher the more money a woman makes the more unhappy she tends to be relationally mm. um and and many women have bought into this idea that well it's cuz men are insecure and I would say, no, it's not because men are insecure. It's because men want a woman who's a woman. And unless he's a gay man, he's not going to be attracted to a woman who is showing up in a very masculine manner. He's going to, he's, he's desirous of a complementary opposite. And mm. so the more a woman shows up as being like, you know, I, a woman, hear me roar. I can do everything. Look, I don't need you to. The more you say that, then, of course, he's going to start disappearing. You know, like, okay, well, you don't need me. Mm. There has to um, be space for him to penetrate. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. And, and I think that women, 
there's a lie there that says that control is the path and we're substituting control when what we really want is love and appreciation. We want to be loved. We want to be appreciated. And we think that um, if we exercise more control, then we can get our needs met. But you can't mm. control your way <laughs> into um, that deep, passionate love and appreciation and that connection that we're seeking so much. You can't control your way into it. Mm. Absolutely. And I think that's been one of the pendulum swings of when women have felt disempowered, they grasp for control, um, but they can they can suffocate mm -hmm. and repel what they're desiring. And, and something you said when we had our, our little talk before this was nobody really celebrates a woman in her restfulness or right. for turning down that six-figure client because it didn't light her soul on fire to talk to them. Yeah. And there, you know, I, I think some of that grasping for control does come from um, a lot of people having lost touch with what it is to appreciate and value the feminine, um, men and women alike. And, mm -hmm. you know, how do we how do we bring that back so that these kinds of qualities are something that are celebrated rather than seeing rest as a reward that we get for working so much, but as as resource that is necessary for us to be thriving human beings. Mm. I think there's a there's a you know something that I'd like to kind of sow a seed I'd like to sow in the mm -hmm. collective consciousness of women, and that is that men desire for women to understand that it is not their intellect that is necessary, that he is not looking at, I mean, be smart. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm a smart cookie. It's, it's the beautiful thing. Um, but the thing that he values is the insight because it's the thing that he can't have without her. Mm. Her, her uniquely feminine insight is what is precious and valuable beyond measure. And insight does not reside in contracted containers. In other words, in order to really experience your own insight, you have to allow spaciousness. And that's what rest allows space for. You have to have the freedom to not do so that you can feel what is to be done. Otherwise, you're just constantly reacting, reacting reacting. And so when women give that to themselves, and I think that it starts with mothers being it so that your daughters can see what it is, because that's how we teach. We don't teach by what we say. We teach by what we model. And so our children learn what it is to be a woman or a man from watching us. So we definitely want to get it in ourselves. Be willing to be in the vanguard. Be the first one in your circle who is saying, no, I prioritize my rest. It's not a reward. It's what nourishes me. It is where I start. It is a prioritization. It is the priority. Um, the word priority used to only mean one. Now we talk about priorities, mm. right? But there used to only be one, mm -hmm. <laughs> one thing that was the priority. <laughs> and so my rest is my priority. Why? Because when I am rested, I have space. When I am rested, I can be kind. When I am rested, I can hear. I can mm -hmm. hear what my true desires are. I can hear what I want to say. I can 
I can offer more. I'm more insightful. I'm, I get more done when I am rested. So be the first person to prioritize it, you know, in, in whatever way, an unusual way. Like I don't work before 11. Me neither. <laughs> Not before 11. I want my morning to be devoted to me mm-hmm. and to my love and to, you know, orgasmic bliss and, and you know, meditation and, and drinking coffee and laughing and all of that good stuff. And now that I am well and truly nourished, now I can give. Mm. I love that so much. And it's it's true that feminine oracular nature does not have space to express when we're in a constant place of of doing and and thinking and trying to keep up it's it's that beingness that it comes through and it's it's that beingness that i that i think other people learn to respect that through you know i think people can be in your presence and feel your radiance and feel mm-hmm. how centered in self you are and you know when they when they learn that you prioritize rest there's it's it's like you said people learn from what you do not from what you what you say they right. can feel how you be and they receive that transmission so much deeper through being in your presence yeah yeah i think as women we we need or we receive permission from other women we mm-hmm. are a web and you know it's interesting <laughs> how often women are like well man da, 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 da. and i'm like but most of the things that you are struggling with you received from other women not men mm-hmm. you're you're feeling like i need to compete where'd you get that from you're looking at other women and seeing what they're doing. And then they're like, hey, you know, don't be lazy. Somebody told you, don't be lazy. I doubt if it was a man, it was probably your mom, your grandma, your auntie, your teacher, you know. And so a lot of these things, these hangups, if you want to call them that, that women have, we've received from other women. And I believe that, you know, me- medicine comes from the same place that you receive the wound, you know. Mm-hmm. So as women, we have the capacity to help hold each other through our being another woman will look at you and be like oh wow you look so happy that's a that's a thing you can be happy I didn't even know you could you know (laughs) you 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 know and they'll they learn everybody learns so you know those of us who have this insight and awareness I think that we show other women what's possible through who we are yeah yeah and I think you know some of that competition between women stems from you know when when we didn't have rights to be our own providers and this kind of thing and when we had to be dependent on men and and there was almost like a competition for well I've got to get a man who's going to support me um and and these other women are my competition to my survival to me <laughs> finding a good man I think there is still some of that lingering that then women have continued to perpetuate and that we we need to come together and learn from each other and support each other and kind of Mm. work through some of that that sisterhood wounding because I do think we're so much stronger together Mm -hmm. um but I I see how you know at different points of history I think we've been um pitted against each other in some ways and that that still lingers even though Mm -hmm. you know at this point in time we we aren't at the point where we like have to rely on a man for our survival and so i think it's it's not such a survival based thing anymore but that that lingers um in the way that that's interesting because when i talk to women who are in countries where that is still the norm right mm-hmm. like here in america of course and and like you know canada and you know western countries a lot of times um we have uh 
more women work and are providing their own money than mm-hmm. don't. It's it's kind of swung a little bit. We're getting closer to it being about 50% of women are providing for themselves at mm-hmm. least. Um, but even when I talk to women, because I have students and clients who are in other countries and where the men are still providing, but they have less wounding when it comes mm. to sisterhood. And, is and it... I find that to be very fascinating because you would think it would be more because there's more of that... I got to find a man and I need to, you know, I need to, but there's actually more of a collaborative, innate collaborative energy between women than mm-hmm. I find in places where women, you would think that women would be, it would be easier for us to collaborate. And so sure. the thought I've come to around that is that um, a lot of the competition that I see women in with each other mm-hmm. is more of an, um, a competition for attention, mm. more so than provision. Sure. And I yeah. think a lot of that is based on um, the kind of families we grew up in. What mm. did you have to do? I always ask clients this. What did you have to do to receive attention as a child? Mm. That is usually going to show up in your relationships with other women. You're going um, to perceive her as being, okay, well, I had to be the smartest. So how often are you in a relationship with another woman? You, you feel like you have to show up as the smartest. I had to be the most talented. How often do you feel like you had to be, you have to show up as the most talented when you're around? Or if another woman is more talented, you collapse. You perceive her as more talented, so you collapse. Mm-hmm. And, I, and we keep finding it going back more so to the familial structure. That, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I wonder how much of that differentiation is between like... um so with these other women that you're talking to in other countries, they're being provided for by the men, but is there an oppressive dynamic there or it's it's more collaborative? Yeah. Um, it just, I guess it depends on <laughs> oppression. It depends on who's, who's, I guess, who's looking at it, whose sure. perception, right? Like for sure. instance, I have women who are my clients who are in Pakistan. I have women in the UAE mm-hmm. where people are always saying women are oppressed. Those women are like, I don't know. I don't know why that narrative is so popular in your culture. Mm. We don't feel oppressed. So it's it's women that somebody else might feel is oppressed, but they themselves do not feel oppressed. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I think that's probably where like maybe the the competition around resource and scarcity comes from if if a woman does feel oppressed but it seems like in this country that makes a lot of sense that it's more connected to like lovability or like a scarcity of love or worth within family that then gets perpetuated to the dynamics Mm -hmm. of sisters that makes sense yeah yeah Yeah. we now have what how many generations at least two to three generations of children who were raised primarily in daycare more often than not. Yeah. And while there's nothing, you know, there are amazing and beautiful and glorious daycare providers and daycares out there. And, you know, it's a lot more challenging to give equal attention to all the children when you have a lot of children in your daycare. Yeah. It's not the same as a mother's love, right? Mm-hmm. So you learn very early when you're placed in a daycare environment and they've seen this in studies that children learn very early how to compete. How to compete for mm. attention, for the cookie, the extra cookie, the extra hug, the smile, the things that would maybe be innate in a healthy family, at least. You would innately get that. And instead, it's a competition. It becomes a competitive environment from a very young age. And we right. know that, you know, under the age of seven, children are in a hypnotic state anyway. So 
you receive all of that. You never really think about it. A lot of it you don't remember, but you still receive that program that I have to compete to get my needs met. Yes. Yes. And then that just continues into adult life. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very interesting perspective about the the female competition. And that makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I like to tell women, you know, look, I have nothing in my hands. I have no sword. I have no shield. Mm. You you don't have to um you don't have to defend yourself against me. And if you attack me, I'm not going to attack you back. Mm. I might say, ouch, but I'm not going to attack you back. And so because somebody has to, you know, one of the sacred text talks about a greater love has no man than this, and a man lays down his life for his friends and and I, I see that as, you know, the egoic tendency to want to defend ourselves. And what if we just didn't? It's like, mm. okay, you, I feel like that was attack, an attack. Did you, was it your intention to attack me? Mm-hmm. Why? Mm. You know, talk to me. What, you know, uh, when I've had situations like that with women, I love to get face to face with her and hold her hands and say, okay, now what are you feeling? What's going on with you? What's what about me is triggering you? Because I trigger a lot of women. Mm. <laughs> and, so, and so, but but I I feel like it's one of my superpowers and a gift. So <laughs> Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, and I, I love that you brought the compassion and the curiosity into it. Like, was that attack? Was that an attack? Why? And and like bringing that connection in. Can we talk about this? Because I think <laughs> That is so much of what's missing in in a lot of the feminist movement where it's it's like this blame and shame of men. It's this demonization of them. And then now that you're bringing in this um, dynamic of it's happening between women as well. And everyone, there, there's always two sides to every story, right? And so if we just attack somebody for what we can perceive and we don't get curious about what is their side of the story and recognizing that men have also been conditioned by society. A lot of men have not been taught how to navigate their sexual energy or taught about consent or, you know, maybe they've had really bad examples around how to respect women. And so it's like, can we get to the root of where did this come from? Because if they've if they've caused a violation, they are also hurting. And mm-hmm. there's there's space to bridge that gap, to create harmony rather than like, this is your fault. You need to be mm-hmm. the one to fix this. Men are the problem. If we make men the problem, we are not open to being met by them. We are simply like we we can't open to receive that which we're demonizing. And so I think right. that's something I'm seeing so much. And I've specialized in working with men for a long time. And there are so many men who are terrified to mm-hmm. embody their masculinity because they've Absolutely. learned recently that it's dangerous, it's toxic, it's bad, it's going to hurt women. And we need men to be in their masculine. We need that so bad. We need them to have backbones and to be strong and to not buckle um, at any finger that points their way. And I, I think yeah. we've created a very difficult political climate for that healing to come forth. And one of the places I really saw this, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, is the Me Too movement was a very interesting time for me to be observing. Um, I, yeah, was working with men very extensively. Um, I saw a lot of men start having like erectile 
issues during this time um, as kind of a physical manifestation of feeling guilty in their masculine and in their sexual energy. And Mm -hmm. I saw this this way of publicly shaming and accusing. To me, if I Mm. ask, what is the intention behind like how we're going about this? Are we trying to create healing or are we trying to be right? Are we trying to, you know, get revenge? Like what what is the intention? Because I think for any man who saw this whole movement going on, who maybe recognized, wow, I think I was out of an integrity with this yeah. woman once upon a time. Is mm-hmm. he going to feel empowered to step forth and make that right with her? Or is he going to be terrified about being publicly ridiculed and shamed for it it didn't feel like there was a lot of space for men to actually come forth and take responsibility and create a healing um dynamic for (laughs) these situations Mm -hmm. with the way it was being navigated um and i and i don't think that the women were wrong in wanting to speak what had Mm -hmm. happened to them and come out about these i think there was absolutely you know again two sides to every story there was purpose in this movement and (laughs) I also saw men get wrongfully accused um, by even women who were like trying to get attention, who twisted Mm -hmm. scenarios. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I see is that we have a lack of teaching consent communication and boundaries in our culture. A lot of people don't know how to do that. And sometimes, and, and I know this very much from personal experience, there were so many times in my own life when I did not have the language to draw boundaries or I would go into a freeze state and I would find myself in sexual situations I did not want to be in because I didn't have the tools. Mm-hmm. Now, would it be fair for me to turn it around and say, this guy did this thing to me <laughs> because I didn't assert my boundaries and now I'm publicly shaming him for it? Right. To me, that's that's a no. Like it was a two way street in in these situations. Yes, there are situations where women are raped by force and they they couldn't do anything about it. And there are a lot of situations that are much more nuanced. Yeah. Where I think both people really play a role, and there is massive collective healing that needs to be done between how we navigate our sexual energy, our boundaries, and our communication with one another. And I would love to see more of a climate where that can happen without the blame and the shame coming through. Yeah, yeah. I It's an interesting thing because I, I talk to women a lot and I talk a, a great deal about power. My husband mm-hmm. and I both, to everyone, men and women, mm-hmm. being empowered and being sovereign. Mm-hmm. And there's a responsibility that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is the responsibility to articulate and to act based on my power and and my sovereign sovereignty now if i because i lack resources tools i don't want to feel uncomfortable it's awkward or whatever um i agree to things that i do not want that is a decision that i chose and that is a responsibility that is mine Hmm. um i believe that many women and i've seen this i started seeing this in the 80s Women lying about being raped because they didn't, they had regret. They had, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, buyer's remorse the next day. And it was just like, no. And and I've seen it, of course, snowball at this point to where it's happening so often where anything is considered an act of of assault. And, um, And ultimately, 
I think a lot of it, a lot of what's driving it is, is a few things. One is that we have begun to celebrate victims. Yes. And so when you celebrate a person, their identity as a victim, and by celebrating, it's like, you're amazing, you're awesome, you're, you know, you get a built-in community of people who are going to support you and believe everything you say, people will send you money, you'll get clout, you get attention, you get mm-hmm. all of these wonderful things, and many people lack all of those things in their lives. And so it's a very easy path to, I have been victimized, to now just get all of these things not because of any degree of, you know, excellence or anything like that, but just because I am making an accusation against another person. Yes. And so that's 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 problematic. Um, I also believe that, you know, I <laughs> I used to be a model and an actress when I was much, much, much younger. And I loved it. And anyone who has worked in that kind of industry understands and knows that. And I, and I saw someone say this and, oh, my gosh, they got canceled they tried to cancel this person for saying it which is that as women we have used our sexuality to get what we wanted since women have existed that's just a part of us now if i say women are powerful innately then i also have to say what comes along with that is and i really do hold this belief is that just because someone has a higher position than you in a company doesn't mean that you can't, you do not have the capacity to consensually engage in a sexual activity with them. You can. Mm-hmm. Now, most, you know, legally, they may say, well, no, you shouldn't do this, da, 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 because there's a power differential. But I'm speaking metaphysically and, and, and um, spiritually. I can't say today, outside of business, if I don't work with you, I can consent to be sexual with you for whatever reason. But tomorrow, because you're now my boss, I no longer have the power to make that decision. And by virtue of the fact that we are in that kind of dynamic, if you approach me, that automatically makes me unable to say no to you. Only if I perceive Mm -hmm. that to be true, Mm -hmm. but it's not innately true. If you Mm -hmm. perceive that to be true, in other words, if you see yourself as disempowered, if someone has more money than you, if they have a higher position in the org chart than you, if they have a greater following than you, male or female, then that's, your, that's where your work really is, is in identifying your own sense of power. I wouldn't care if it was the, United, the president of the United States or, you know, the biggest person doing whatever. If they wanted to approach me sexually and I didn't want to have sex with them, my, my answer would be, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, and so I think that as what we've done is we've placed women in these and and women have gone after these positions and, you know, these things that seem very powerful externally, circumstantially, Mm -hmm. without internally creating a spine and a being of power within. So then whenever she comes in contact with someone who seems to have more power than her circumstantially, she collapses because she hasn't built up that inner state of power in herself. And I think that's really where a lot of the work needs to be done, and that can't be done legislatively. That's an inside job. No matter how many laws we pass, if women haven't really internalized the fact that I can say no, Mm -hmm. I can say no ugly, I can say no with my voice shaking, I can say no inelegantly, I can say no in, you know, eight point text and in a power, multiple paragraph, 
I can say no. When a woman understands that I can say no, then it doesn't matter what position she's in and who's asking for a yes. Mm. She'll give it. Mm. And and I think this is this is a huge part of where that shame and blame game keeps being played between men and women. Because men are, most men are good men. And the men who aren't so good, like, no matter how much we talk about consent, if a man doesn't want to ask for consent or navigate that path, he's not gonna, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's the hard truth is that all of our conversations depend upon men who are good Mm -hmm. while also having this idea that, well, men aren't necessarily innately good. We have to teach them how to be good. And it's like, well, no, only a good man would care about your yes or your no. Mm. And I think it's the it's the men who don't care that we really um, have to recognize that you can't necessarily change those people. Just like you can't, a person who wants to steal from you, no matter how much you talk about airtight, you know, p- things belong to people you shouldn't just take them. A person who's a thief, no matter how much you lecture them on that, they're not going to change their mind. That's right. right. You know, right. and I think it's sometimes the same thing. Like we're literally preaching to the choir of good men mm. saying, but look at these men who do bad things. And it's like, well, what is he supposed to do about the men that do bad things? That's right. why the laws exist. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think I think it does get it gets really nuanced because I think some men don't know how to tell if a woman is in like a freeze response and doesn't know how to say no when she means that. And maybe he thinks she's like, you know, doesn't realize she's just going through the motions and he's a good man and he doesn't want to cross her boundaries, but she's not drawing boundaries. And so there's confusion around. There's this murky communication. And I think that's something we have to work on together as a team and not place it Mm -hmm. on like, well, you should have read my body language. You should have asked for consent. You should have known I was in this freeze state. Mm-hmm. And also not in this place of like, well, you should have had the words to say no, even though maybe like you've never learned that and you have past sexual trauma and you go into this freeze state um, without like having the tools how to navigate that. I think it's something we have to show up and navigate together. And it's, it's. I do think like like you said, being able to own your no is such mm-hmm. a game changer. I didn't, I remember one of my friends told me when I was like 23 years old that I never needed a reason to say no. And it mm-hmm. was like mind blowing to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? Because up until that point, I if, if, if somebody was trying to have sex with me and I didn't want to, mm-hmm. I was frantically trying to come up with an excuse, a reason mm-hmm. why I could say no. I didn't realize that like I could just say no and it didn't matter how I said it or why I said it. And I think so many women are lacking the words to know how to lay those boundaries down. And that's our work to do, to learn that language and not put it on the men and blame them that we didn't have those words. And the men have their work to do around like receptivity and and learning how to communicate as well. And so I, I think it's a team effort. And the more we get in this place of pointing fingers, the more we are widening that divide rather than bridging the gap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that women, if a woman doesn't feel like, doesn't know how to communicate, mm-hmm. no, I would say that she's not ready to be in a relationship. Totally. I would say she needs to spend some time with herself. Mm-hmm. And I've told women this, like, 
can't, are you well, are you willing to be honest? Cause that's what that really comes down to. Mm-hmm. If a person is incapable of honesty for whatever reason, mm-hmm. it doesn't even have to be because of like trauma or abuse, or I know we tend to go there, but a lot of times it's just, I've never learned. I never practice it. I don't, I'm so used to just going with the flow of what the people around me desire that I've never really learned how to express what I want, then to me, that's your work. Because if you don't do that work, no matter who you are with, you will perceive yourself as being abused by that person. Mm -hmm. Because you don't want something, but you don't know how to communicate it. (laughs) And if they aren't constantly, I don't think that we, it makes sense for us to put ourselves in a position where we require for our partners to be our clinicians or our therapists or trauma-informed or our coaches or those are different positions. Our partners should be free to be themselves and you should be free to be yourself. Now, if part of you being yourself at any specific place is like, I don't know what to do. Like I am, I have had so much stuff happen in my life that literally when stuff happens, I just freeze. I would say, that's a deep need for therapy and you need to do that work before you get in a relationship. Now, if you're yeah. already in a relationship, then we'll, you know, we'll work through that. But right. if this person isn't and they're thinking about it, my perspective on it is self-care comes first. Yep. Because if you don't, then what happens is you get with someone and then they just want to love you. <laughs> and, and they think I'm coming, I'm going to be honest about what I want. So I'm going to say, man, I, I, I am very attracted to you. I'm very aroused by you. I'm looking forward to this. You know, yes, I'm going to lean into that. Mm-hmm. But instead of me handling you as an empowered, powerful, embodied woman, I now have to know that you're not as empowered because you don't know. So then it infantilizes her. And see, right. this is where men get into this position where they can't win. Right. Because if he infantilizes her, and I've heard women say this, I hate it when men are like, is this okay? Is this all right? I hate that. Then you hear another woman who's like, I really need a man to do that for me because I'm so sensitive and I've got all of this. And I'm like, poor dude. Yeah. <laughs> if he leans in and is just like, yes, look at me, you know, and, and all of his manliness, you know, and he's like, I'm here. One woman will be like, yes, give it to me. And another one would be like, that felt so aggressive. Yeah. Whose responsibility is it to communicate for you? Mm. Yours. Mm-hmm. And I think the more women own that and say, okay, you know what? I don't know how to do this. Let me learn it stat. Because I'm grown. And I, it's my job to learn that. You know, that's when we get with men who are empowered in their masculinity, who we can choose. We make better choices too, because then we choose partners who can truly meet us in power if we're not empowered then we choose partners who will be almost like a daddy mm-hmm. take care of me you know keep me safe don't let any bad things happen to me you know? <laughs> and tell me how much of a big girl i am you know? and, and so we look for that and uh, eventually unfortunately usually when we when when uh, my observation has been when women outgrow that stage when they do finally step into their power they leave that dude <laughs> thanks <laughs> and go find the man who can actually meet her in her power and so it, and then those guys end up being like i don't know i'm a nice guy and I always get left <laughs> yep. you know? yeah 
Yeah. Exactly. And I'm, I'm going to say, I'm sure you've experienced that with some of, you know, your clients. Oh, yeah. We our, our last episode was or two episodes ago was actually all about kind of that nice guy complex and how that happens. And, um, you know, it's it's true. Like if, if you if he can't trust her, no, he can't trust her. Yes. And then yes. he's going to feel awkward about bringing forth his full power because exactly. he doesn't trust her to to be clear in what works for her and what doesn't. And so there's so many men I work with that are so hesitant to be mm. in that like directive masculine energy <laughs> where they're really like claiming their space and and showing up in the way that so many women want but mm -hmm. then other women have like scolded them for it or told them it's not okay and then they're like I don't I don't know how to show up and then yeah they, then they end up with somebody who's like oh you're too timid or like you're right. not you're not taking what you want you know and so it's yeah I feel, I feel terrible for the men that are just like how, how am I supposed to show up for this how am I supposed to be just tell me you know? just, just, just tell me what you want you know? yeah I see this a lot too I have a lot of we work with a lot of couples and frequently that is the dynamic between the men and the women is the man's kind of like I want to, um, but I don't know how she's going to respond or, you know, I, I've, uh, I'm finding a lot of men who grew up in households, um, with women who kind of, you know, just kind of beat the masculinity out of them when they yeah. were, you know, mothers who were just like, everything masculine was horrible. Stop being that. And, and now they're men. And that is so ingrained in them that it is very challenging for them to really reclaim themselves. Yeah. You know, it's very hard. Um, and sometimes it takes a really long time. Sometimes they're able to navigate it quicker, but sometimes it takes a long time. And it, and it really just basically is based on how much support he has and how much he's willing to do it. You know, we always say, have your own back no matter what. So mm -hmm. if he's willing to have his own back no matter what, Meaning that, okay, well, you may be with a woman who may not like this new you. Yep. You know, are you willing to end it or have it end? If he's willing to say yes, because I, I want to be fully me, then that he can navigate it pretty quickly. But if he's like, I don't know, I don't want to lose my person, you know, then it's like it takes a lot longer because he's too scared of loss. Right. And then she often won't respect him when he's in that position. And when I... When I first chose to specialize in working with men, part of the reason was I was like, wow, I see all these really empowered women in my life who can't seem to find a man to meet them. They're like, where are all the good men out there? Right. I quickly found in my work, there are so many good men out there. Yes. And that part of part of the reason that, you know, women can't find a good man is because they're they're constantly like cutting his balls off and then wondering yeah. where where are the men out there they're emasculating <laughs> <Right>. them <laughs> well, men, they're in your freezer like you <laughs> you, you, you ripped their pants off and insisted on wearing them yourself right and... exactly, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it was. I, I just kept seeing that over and over again, and that a lot of like these stories that women were carrying that were self-victimizing and blaming of men were yeah. the reason they couldn't find good men because they had a story that there weren't any good men, and yeah. the ones that came along, they were trying to wrap around their finger and emasculate them in some way, and then he wasn't the man that they, you know. I think a lot of women, the man that they think they want, um, let's see how to say this. It's like 
they think they want to be able to like bend him to their will, but actually that's not what they want at all. And they will completely lose attraction if they can. And so there's always that testing um, going on there, but that, mm -hmm. that strong backbone is always yeah. going to be the sexiest thing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, one of the things that I love the most about my husband is that I believe that a man who has that strength, you can trust. Yes. Because those kind of men have no reason to lie to you. Mm -hmm. They'll be like completely honest about where they are and how they are and what they feel because it's, there's no reason. I'm not trying to just tell you whatever you, I think you want to hear. Yes. You know, so a man who knows who he is and, and, and is fully like, this is who I am. This is how I want it. This is what I like, you know, that kinds of thing. Mm -hmm. it, you, it's, that's a very trustworthy man. Yes. Um, a man who is fawning all over you and is just like so impressed by you. That's a man that you're not, you know, it's like you might be able to trust him, but maybe not because if he if he's wants something or does something that he thinks might displease you, he will probably hide it. Right. And because a lot in a lot of cases, um, you know, I call those men, they're usually either in the night or the prince. He mm -hmm. hasn't yet stepped into the king fully, you know, yeah. and so he's very much trying to a lot of times the night I'm trying to please the fair lady you know yes. and and um but I still you know I bend the knee right mm -hmm. so I go out and I'll fight everything else but I'll bend the knee in front of her um well knights won't tell their queen certain things that they do right <laughs> right and so you know so you you uh I think that when you're with that kind of man you know you're uncertain but I know with my husband I've always been absolutely certain of him because uh, someone asked me years ago, like, what are, do you have any expectations of, of Baba? I never hear you talk about expectations. And I said, I have one. And they were like, just one. I was like, just one. And they said, what is it? And I said that he will be absolutely himself. Mm. And that when he recognizes a shift in who he is, he will tell me when he, re when he realizes it, a change, it's something that he likes or he doesn't like, where he feels like he's going, where he's developing any shift, he'll tell me when he recognizes it and that he will always live in alignment with that. Mm. And this person was like, that's amazing. I said, right. I said, but it's also the secret to happiness because I'm never like, is he hiding something from me? Well, maybe he feels like this and he's not telling me. Is it something that, is he, you know, what's going on? Where are we? Never, I'm never concerned about it. I know that he is being absolutely himself. He is doing what he wants to do. And if I say, hey, I like this, and he doesn't like it, he's going to tell me, I don't like that. You know, I don't want that. I don't want, I don't like that house. I don't want that car. I don't want to do that in a business or whatever. And, and that there's a freedom. It's, yes. it's the most counterintuitive thing, <clears throat> but there is a freedom in our marriage because of that. We do not argue. The last argument that we had, was when we were dating <laughs> we just we wow. don't argue there's nothing to argue about mm. there's nothing to argue about it's <clears throat> it's not that we don't ever have things where I don't necessarily understand his perspective or he doesn't understand mine but it's just a conversation sure. for the sake of 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 connecting and understanding not an argument which implies a pulling in opposite directions I want you must, mm. you know, that kind mm. of thing. We don't do that. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That, that transparency is the most trustworthy quality. Cause it's like, the, and you also know, he's not going to abandon himself. Like he's, right. he's so true to himself. He's true to you. And that integrity 
manifests across the board. You know, I yeah. think also <clears throat> it eliminates any fear of like, is he going to cheat on me? It's like, you right. know, he's so honest with everything that like there's right. there's not that fear. Like he'll he'll tell you before that yeah. happens, you know, like there there yeah. will be that conversation um, exactly. if it needs to be had. And so I think right. that's somewhere people get um, really stuck is is not not trusting that their authenticity is the filter that is going to bring them into alignment. Oh, I love that. I love mm-hmm. that. I think that's exactly true. That is exactly mm-hmm. true. I mean, we started um, when we first got together. My husband um, was married to someone else, and we were in a triad, which is a polyamorous, closed polyamorous relationship, mm-hmm. where I was basically a second wife, um, but without the you know legal rigmarole <laughs> or religious overtones. Um, uh-huh. And um, uh, they had been together for a very long time. And um, there were some issues there that I didn't know about originally. And over time, you know, their relationship dissolved and ours continued. And initially when we were um, still, when their relationship ended, we still identified as polyamorous, even though um, I've always said we were more monopoly. than anything else, which is where you have a, a polyamorous person with a monogamous person, I tend towards monogamy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, um, so I wasn't dating anyone else, but we did talk about, you know, having a girlfriend and maybe bringing in a second wife. And that would be, that would be awesome. And we did that. We played with that for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at some point we realized that it just wasn't what we wanted. Um, It was something that we had done and it was beautiful and wonderful and fun in a lot of different ways and not so fun in some other ways um, Mm -hmm. when we were doing it. But ultimately, what we realized is that um, it it wasn't the direction that we wanted our relationship to go and that there really just wasn't room for anyone else Mm -hmm. in our relating. There just Mm -hmm. what there's just not room for anyone else. Like there's not any time we are. Um, we want to be around somebody else besides each other. <laughs> like we just, we just don't, you know, we are each other's favorite person. And, and, um, when we realized that it was like, oh, okay, well, you know what? Yeah. For a while we were like, oh yeah, we're poly in theory, you know, mm-hmm. we're poly in theory, but we're not looking. We're poly in theory, but we're not sure. looking. And then eventually it was like, you know, no, actually what's true and what's real is that we aren't anymore. We are, um, dyadic and Mm. when we allowed the truth of that it was such a powerful thing for us because that's when we started transmitting and receiving access to um a body of work that we founded called dyadic consciousness and what that means and what that looks like and and had other people come and tell us you know this is the next evolution of humanity do you guys Mm. realize what you have and we were like no (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we were just saying what we felt to say, you know, and, and I mean, there's been a number of, you know, big thought leaders as well as people who taught on relationships for a long time who came and was like, I, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I've never heard of anything like this. And, and so, but we had to go through the door of saying, you know, no, thank you to something that we had been in order to access that, that new state of being. And so 
I really do when I say I trust him that even if he wanted someone else, you know, he would tell me, I know he would because we've, we've traversed that field already, you know, and I always told him, you know, well, if you change your mind and you decide, yeah, you know, I think it would be fun to have someone else. Just, just tell me. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. And so there's, there's just that, that fearless transparency between you. That's so gorgeous. Yeah. 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 Wow. And I, I, so I love that you brought this up because this is another thing I wanted to ask you about. I know that you guys are very focused on the dyad and marriage. And this is, this is another thing where you've kind of gotten my gears turning in a different way and, and, you know, considering things differently that I'm very curious to hear more of your perspective on. So I've kind of been, you know, on and off against the idea of marriage at various different points and, and viewpoints and, you know, there's the part of me that's like, well, promising to be with somebody forever seems crazy because we're always changing. And, you know, what if what if you grow apart? What if one person evolves and the other doesn't? What if life mm-hmm. circumstances create like a toxic situation or, you know, it stagnates? Um, and I, I also used to see like, I kind of thought that marriage was developed with like the ownership of land and women and needing to control kind of like who you're knowing who your heir was and controlling a woman's sexuality so that you knew that. And so I've had all these, you know, different ways that I've pondered this. And you guys talk about marriage in a way that's not just like the um, like the institution of marriage that like people, you know, go through the motions and do the thing because that's what you're supposed to do. But you talk about it as this alchemical container in through which so much more is possible in that committed dynamic and i would i would love to hear more about like what that what that means to you and and like why why you see this container to be so potent yes thank you for bringing that in and and i love the way you describe that this alchemical container because that is in fact how we view it and experience it so i look at it like anything any concept any metaphysical truth can be corrupted right mm-hmm. it can be shifted into its let's say it's lowest expression where it's just um, a form but lacks the soul or the essence of the thing. Oh, everyone goes, you go down to the thing, you go into the chapel and you go to get married. You know, it's that time. It's how old am I? Okay, so I'm going to do that, right? <laughs> um, when, we, when we talk about marriage, that's not what we're talking about because we call those wedding relationships. Mm-hmm. But you basically have a relationship and you go and get a wedding. And that only happens on the legislative end of things or the governmental end of things. Like we have sure. committed that we will journey in this way, we'll file taxes together and so on and so forth. That's not really where the, the power is in marriage. The power in marriage is that at the very beginning, we know that source energy, um, cre- the creator, God, if you want to call it that, Um, was one. And then the very next step was to form two, was to become two. And so when we go into that union, what happens is we have the capacity to begin to experience the unification, the true unification between the masculine and the feminine and what that looks like in human form, Mm. which is extremely powerful and has the capacity to fulfill the promise of the movement that has arisen that says that we all have masculine and feminine within. Mm -hmm. So the idea that like, I have a masculine, I have a feminine, you know, I hear a lot, most people believe this, especially in the polarity or anybody who deals with masculine and femininity. Most people believe this. I don't. Mm. Um, And I'm starting to see more people say, no, I don't have that. 
I believe that we all have yin and yang. But in our work, yin and yang is different than masculine and feminine. I don't mm. try to take anything that belongs to men. Masculinity is that which pertains to men. I don't want anything that pertains to men to self-identify. I want mm. to respect, love, appreciate. But I don't want to try to co-opt it as my own. Mm. My husband is fond of saying that when he wants to touch his feminine, he touches me. Mm. And that in a nutshell, is really where the power of that marriage container is alchemically, is that we get to physically touch and experience in a very clear way the other. Mm. I get to experience masculinity and all of its complexity. And, and even the parts that are difficult or challenging or I don't understand, and I beat them with wonderment or frustration or whatever, but I get to really experience it through him. And he gets to experience all the complexity of the feminine through me. And in our coming together, as we do that dance over and over and over and over again, what happens is something more than the sum of its parts arises. And it's like that Vesica Pisces when you see two. Mm -hmm. That's why the logo for the dyad is two circles. And because that, that intersection, that place where we intersect, is where something new comes forward, which what we've been given is it's a completely new consciousness mm -hmm. and you operate differently. You look at the world differently. You don't, you don't, um, it's literally like the two becoming one. So it's an interesting thing because it's, it almost defies description. Mm -hmm. It's one of those, it's like many magical mystical things that are, you can explain it, but it's still, defies description because it's really an experiential process. But what happens is we function as a unit always. Where he is, I am not. And where he is not, there I am. Mm. So energetically, wherever he is, whenever he moves into a specific space, I energetically move into a different space. Even mm. if I was just there, I'll move. Sometimes without even realizing it. Um, if he retreats from a space, I will energetically move in almost like water, just kind of flowing in mm -hmm. to the space where he was. Um, we are always, the orientation is not side by side like this, facing forward or facing this way. Mm -hmm. And it's not back to back like most people are like, I want somebody who has my back, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. The orientation is facing each other like when you're dancing. Mm -hmm. Because when I face him, I can see what he can't see. I can see what's behind him. And when he faces me, he can see what I cannot see. He can see what's behind me. And by our trust in what he sees and his trust in what I see, we navigate the world. And so it's like that gorgeous mirror reflection and you've got this 360 vision and exactly. that vesica Pisces, like in its most physical form, like it, it can literally create a new consciousness of a child yeah. and you're embodying that in all that you do metaphysically and, and how it presents yeah. through all that you do together. And it allows space in this way. It, it kind of, it's the interesting thing because on one side we have, like we started this conversation talking about like feminism and and things of that nature. And so 
um, you have a lot of that, like more, I call it the neutral zone where it's like men and women are exactly like, and they can do the same thing. And sex is just, uh, it's just, it's just how we make babies. It doesn't matter. There's no difference. Right. So mm-hmm. that's one perspective. Then you swing to the other perspective and there can also be almost like a, a frigidness there where like, these are masculine roles. These are mm-hmm. feminine roles. And if I need to do anything that I think that has been historically masculine, then I am not in my feminine. And if he is doing anything that is historically fem- women do, then he is not in his masculine. And so that becomes very um, static, mm-hmm. which is why so many people pull away from it because they don't right. want to be locked into a role. Right. Nobody is meant to live a role. A role is something you put on during the space of, a, of an act. Right? Mm. It's mm. not something you are meant to live. And so it solves both of those. It acknowledges the difference, which is why where he is, I am not. And where he is not, there I am. So it gets rid of this. But there's also a fluidity to it. Because where he is, I am not. And where he is not, there I am. So, mm. for instance, um, for most of my marriage, my husband... Um, did, did all the, you know, what people would normally consider to be the masculine actions, right? He picks up, I don't pick up anything heavy. I don't, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. And then he got sick a few years ago. And when he got sick, I didn't suddenly go into the masculine. No, I am still the feminine. I'm the feminine in service in a different way. Mm-hmm. So when he was on this medication that he was, it was really difficult for him to move around. Um, he had really bad side effects. I remember we were out of town and this, this one, it's a perfect example. We, we went to a hotel and normally, you know, the valet comes and they get the, the stuff. And, you know, I just kind of stand there and look pretty, <laughs> you know, and he'll grab stuff. And, and we went to the hotel and I looked at him and I saw he was having a good, a hard time. And so they opened the door and I told them, and usually he would be the one telling them everything. And I, they opened the door for me and I said, okay, I need you to do this. I need this, da, 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 da. I grabbed a couple of bags that I normally would not grab. And I was like, okay, you know, I was like, we got it, you know, and we just went into the hotel and it was seamless. We didn't have a conversation. Okay, now what am I going to do? Now, what are you going to do? You know, it, it was just seamless. We, we got into the hotel. I went over to the desk. I was like, okay. You know, I would like a, a room. I don't want it too far from the from elevator. You know, we just switched. But it was, I was not in my, I wasn't in the masculine. I was in the mm. feminine. I would call that the feminine yang. Mm. And he was in the masculine yin. Mm. And so we were still flowing together. And so that's the part that I think many people don't understand. And, and that I'm, I really feel strongly to bring forward is that it allows space for the completeness of your whole experience throughout your whole life. So, yes, you're going to grow and you're going to change and you're going to evolve. I hope so. Gosh, mm-hmm. I hope so. And this paradigm, this way of doing it allows space for all of that growth for you guys to grow together and become like your own unique little bonsai tree. That is so beautiful. I love that. So it's like there is a space that each of you tends to occupy, but you can shape shift to switch spaces, but you still hold the essence of your masculine and feminine nature. Exactly. That's beautiful that you use that term. That's somebody else called it that. Mm. um, This uh, we were talking about it with someone and that's what she said. She said, you guys own the shape shift. 
shifter codes. Like you just mm. do it automatically. And she's like, it's really weird. You, there's no conversation, but I, I can just watch you and see when you move. And I was like, yeah, that's the thing is, and it does require to, you know, when people say, well, how do I, I want that? How do I get that? And they're like, well, the first thing is deep trust. You yeah. have to have that trust because otherwise you're constantly looking at the other person like, is it safe for me to be all in in this way with you? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I, I love the way you speak to this. And it leads me into some other questions that I have around this territory. So, I mean, I had this question prior to, and I'm wondering if this just already answered it. I have a question of, you know, I think one of the things that is the biggest challenge in the field of relationship and doing this work is how do we keep that sexual polarity and passion alive in a long-term relationship? And when we're cultivating that vertical depth rather than that horizontal novelty, um, and not to say that we can't bring novelty in as well, we have new experiences together, but like we're, we have to go deeper with that person. Is there anything else besides what you just spoke to that has helped keep that alive for you? Yeah. Um, I'm always curious and I'm always communicating. <laughs> so I'm always curious about what he likes mm -hmm. and and what's changed and what's shifted. I mean, my husband and I have been together for nearly 20 years. And um in that time, <laughs> I he is as handsome and attractive and arousing to me as he was when we first when we first got together. Mm. I'm making a point to do what I call keeping the ember burning which means that I keep myself on simmer deliberately and intentionally. I never let mm -hmm. the fire go out completely, no matter what's going on. Even if I don't feel good, <laughs> I'm like, it's gotta be at least on warm. <laughs> so, so, and, and, and I do that not just for him, but you know, there's some sacred selfishness there because I love the feeling of my own, you know, I, I guess the way it's normally talked about is my own turn on. Mm. I enjoy the experience of my own arousal. I love feeling sensual and sexual and, and sexy, you know? And so yes. I don't let anything become old hat, even down to shaving my legs. It's mm -hmm. like, what is the most sensual way that I can shave my legs? What is the most um, sensual way that I can apply my makeup? How does this dress feel on me not just how does it feel look on me but how does it mm -hmm. feel do I like the way this satin feels caressing my skin and my legs as I'm walking um all of those things matter um I'm a big proponent of switching it up you know so mm -hmm. I'll tell women frequently like just don't wear panties like just let them go mm -hmm. <laughs> unless it's your moon time don't wear them. Just be free. You'll notice that, oh my goodness, I have a, a different expression. I can feel myself all the way down mm. as opposed to it being something that you only notice when it's time for sex. Um, I am, um, one of the first things that I did in my work was I was the, um, the yoni egg woman. Mm -hmm. And so I sell yoni eggs. I teach on yoni eggs and, and their use as a spiritual tools, but also sensuality. Um, mm -hmm. that they bring that energy to help you keep your energy from just kind of occupying up here in your head. A lot of right. women live either in their head or above it. And mm -hmm. I, my thing is like, what is your, what is your purpose? I want to help women live in their yonis, you know? So I, I'm always like, bring your energy lower. And I find that yoni eggs really help to, 
um, keep that energy really low in our pelvic bowl, which is such a beautiful place. Yes. Um, trying new things, never thinking that you know all the things about anything. Yes. Uh, I first started in this realm as a sex educator, BDSM and, and sexuality educator. I would teach on, you know, how to have 10 different types of orgasms and, you know, all kinds of amazing things in, 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 um, in the realm of sexuality. And I still do. Um, and so from that place, you know, that kind of super saturates you in the realm of sexuality and sensuality. And there's always still more left to learn, you know? So if I see someone putting out a class on something, I'm like, Ooh, I'm like, yeah, I know this about that, but I wonder what their take is going to be, you know? Mm. So just kind of elevating (laughs) that interest level, because I believe a lot of our sensuality and our sexuality is developed based on fascination and so when we stop being fascinated with each other with our own response and with mm-hmm. sex in general and sensuality in general then everything goes meh so yes. if we can bring that fascination up then you start noticing like oh my goodness i wow no my libido isn't tanked i just was checked out you know and i'm willing i'm willing to be interested I'm willing to be fascinated. I'm willing to be curious. And I'm willing to experience my own, you know, like I said, my own arousal. I'm willing to experience my own turn on. I'm willing to be turned on. Yes. Yes. And that's that's such a huge thing that I often teach we have to take self-responsibility for. I call it like making love to each moment, like how you're talking mm-hmm. about shaving your legs and yeah. You know, bringing the full presence so that you can really drink of the fullness of each moment and not have yeah. the mundane become this absent-minded autopilot thing, but letting the mundane be sacred as well and bringing that full presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's it's interesting because curiosity, I also really see that as the foundation of desire. It's like if we've stopped mm-hmm. being curious... Mm-hmm. We're not going to dig deeper into that moment. We're going to think we have it all figured out already. And mm-hmm. one of the things I'm, I'm curious about, because I know you and Baba Richard spend so much time together. You guys are together yes. all the time. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Esther Perel has always said that I really love, she's a sex therapist. She says, mm-hmm. love, and, um, love, love seeks to merge and unite, but distance needs separateness and otherness or mm-hmm. desire desire needs distance separateness and otherness to long for and so how do you guys maintain that curiosity and foundation without that space and and doing so much together all the time yeah oh that's a beautiful question um so i never feel it's interesting because i t- talk all of this about trust and knowing it but i also say i don't know who he is today mm-hmm I don't know who he is today. The infinite he, couple, as you guys call yourselves. Exactly. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who he is today. I wonder who he's going to be today. And mm-hmm. so that in and of itself creates that curiosity because it inserts a space. Even though we're together, we're as close as two people can be. Like, <laughs> right now we're in separate rooms. That's very rarely true. We're usually like, <clears throat> people are like, are you guys newlyweds? You're just all up under each other. And it's like, no, well, kind of. <laughs> it's only been 20 years. but but because no matter how close I am to him there's always distance because he's infinite and so where is he in his mind when I'm sitting right next to him smelling his breath and smelling him but inside of his inner thoughts I don't know where he is Mm. 
And so that causes me to like lean in and be like, what are you thinking about? What were you, you know, I just had a thought. Did you have that thought? You know, that kind of thing. And he does the same thing with me. Like, I think with men, it shows up a little bit differently because for me, it's all, a lot of it is just understanding that there are inner realms that he is inhabiting that I, no matter how close we are, I don't know exactly where he is in that universe at any given moment. So I rely on him to communicate it with me. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that saying, like, I contain universes. I do. Mm-hmm. And if I can contain universes and I could be like, I could get lost in myself, how much more could I get lost in looking at him and experiencing him experiencing himself? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so for my end, it comes about like that. And um, for him, it shows up in um, a lot of the aesthetic and external things. Like he's fascinated by changes in my body. He's mm. fascinated by how clothing holds me. Or when I take off clothes, he's just like, why can't you just walk around the world like that? I'm like, I think the police would have an issue. <laughs> like, I, I don't say why you can't just be naked all the time. <laughs> and, so, and, so, um, and so we flirt. You know, mm-hmm. we flirt. And so even if we're sitting next to each other, for instance, yes, I have a dress and my dress is long, but I might take, pull my dress up on one side and just kind of let that leg, my whole thigh be exposed just for that moment. And then if, when I move, my dress falls back down. And so that created a spark of distance mm-hmm. that created like what's happening there or mm-hmm. I'll you know, put my perfume on in a specific way. And and then I'll like lean into him when I'm talking to him and then I'll move away. And so he's smelling my perfume. And so I think a lot of it is the things that we do when we're dating, most people stop doing mm-hmm. once they're in the, mm-hmm. the real relationship. We don't need to do all of those things. But I say, as long as you continue to do those things, what will happen is and like switch them up from time to time, mm-hmm. um, what'll happen is you'll always be fascinated with each other because it's almost like you're hitting the reset button. Yes. You know, yes. I'll change the, t- I'll, he'll buy me a completely new wardrobe. So for a long time, I wore saris. It's about a year. But I wore nothing but saris. I had about 40 different saris and I would just go through and wear different saris. And then he decided that he loved the pinup look. And so he had nothing but stop staring dresses and wiggle skirts and all of that. And that's all I wore was was pinup girl stuff. And I told him, yes, I will be your living doll. So just feel free to dress me however you want to dress me and I'll wear those things. And, And, you know, so you find ways in your curiosity to make it to be different, to experience new yous. Yes. And new hymns. Yeah. So there is there is always that <clears throat> that courting and that playing and the the ever deepening awareness of the subtlety of mystery in each moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think I love that. What I notice in in a lot of times when women are in long term relationships, we can start to understand like I know he likes this. And I know he doesn't like that. And that can sometimes like kind of cause our beloveds to be placed almost in amber Mm. where they don't get to evolve or change or, and it also shuts down your own playfulness and discovery. And I think playfulness is a very feminine characteristic. And so, um, yes, I know he likes this and I know he doesn't like this until he does. 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> until yes. he does it. You know, I mean, being with Baba for this many years, I seen him not like things and then develop an appetite for certain things. And I seen him like things a lot and then be like, ah, I don't care about that anymore. It's a very fascinating thing. So when you have that curiosity, you become very aware of when you start seeing it changing. Because I mm. usually notice when his appetites and desires and the things that he's interested in shift before he does. Because I mm. study him like I'm trying to get a PhD. <laughs> yes. So, so I know. And I'm like, you know, I noticed that you used to like this, but it seems like. Do you really, do you still really like that or are you, or do you do it because it's a habit and then right. he'll, he'll think about it and he'll say, hmm, you know, let me, let me feel into that for a little bit. And I'm like, okay. And then sometimes he'll come back and be like, you know what? I realized what I'm not as into that as I used to be. I'm not as into that style of decor or I don't really care about this as much as I used to. And yeah, mm. always mm. changing. You don't get bored. Yeah. I love that so much. So I have a curiosity. So you guys, you guys work together too. You guys are entrepreneurs. You have multiple businesses together. You've done very well for yourselves and you have eight children together. Like <laughs> talk about, talk about just like total amazing overachievers, but like without, without the hustle and grind, you know? Right. So exactly. <laughs> I'm curious, like how have you managed to lead and create and, and be an entrepreneur without burnout, without grinding in a feminine way? while still tending to family and relationship. Yeah. Um, so I have a, a, you know, they talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and I have a definite mm -hmm. prioritization of things. And so, and I, you know, any clients that I work with or anything that I'm doing, it is just known that Baba comes first. Mm. He comes first. Um, our children come after him. And, um, and, and of course, truth is right up there. You know, Baba and truth kind of go hand in hand. So everything else comes after that. Mm -hmm. I pay close attention to my energetic and emotional needs. In other words, I can have a thing that I want to bring forward, but I ask the question of how can I bring this forward in a way that feels good to me? versus it being brought forward in a way that may be popular or trending or this is the way you're supposed to do it, but it doesn't right. feel good to me. Yes. Right? So, for instance, with my one-on-one -on -one clients, I will tell them, well, we'll have a session, but I don't say it's going to be an hour. I'll say it'll be however long. It'll be up to an hour. So if we're done after 15 minutes, we're done. We're complete. If, if it, you know, goes up to an hour, that's awesome. But if, if you, we bring whatever's in and we're complete, then we can go instead of sitting here and feeling like, okay, it's got to be an hour because I committed to an hour. So now we have to fill this space, mm. right? Things like that. Um, we're so cognizant of what's going on with us. So by making us kind of like the center of the wheel, then what happens is everything that we put out is always based on the fact that it nourishes us in one way or another. So, of course, it nourishes us financially, but also emotionally and energetically, it feels really good. Mm -hmm. um, and we have the <clears throat> bandwidth to do it and keep doing it because it feels good to do. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, um, I, I call that one of our superpowers because, you know, we love to help people figure that out for themselves because 
everybody is so different and it depends on where you are in your life. So for instance, how we structured things when our children were still in high school and um, <laughs> we they were playing sports and we had to be at football games and track meets and, and choir rehearsals and all of these other things. And so we did a lot of stuff and we didn't do many things in the evening when our kids were at that age. We would say, okay, we'll work from here until here. And anything that needs to be done in the evening has to be in such a way that I can do it while I'm doing something else. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, you know, oh, I can't come because I'm on a client call. No, I don't do client calls after four or after five or what have you. Mm -hmm. Now that our kids are older, we do a lot of things in the evening where we're like, mm -hmm. oh, you know what would be best is for us to do this. Let's do it at six. Let's do it at five, you know, or what have you. And so we're constantly, we give ourselves permission to change our minds mm -hmm. if it's not working. Mm -hmm. Give ourselves permission to change our minds. It's like. Um, when we teach on authenticity, that's one of the questions that always comes up is, well, what if you, you're trying to be authentic, but then you change your mind about something? And we always say, well, it's your responsibility to, you can change your mind. You just have to communicate that mind change and then create a solution that you are willing, that feels good for you, that will also allow the other person to have an opportunity at least to still be left whole. So mm -hmm. that's how we run it. It's like, okay, we reserve the right to change our mind. If I change my mind and you go, I go, oh, okay, yeah, I said that I would be available for sessions until 7 p.m. And we've been doing this for three months now and I'm finding that that's too late. It's not working for me. Just where my energy is, I don't feel like I'm at my best for you. Mm -hmm. so I need to end my day at four. And you as my client say, well, I'm not good with that. Then I'm going to let you, I'm going to go, oh, I get that. Okay, well, um, what I can do is I can let you out of your contract if that's not working for you. I'm not mm -hmm. going to force you. You see what I'm saying? But I'm also going to honor me because if my mm -hmm. energy isn't right, I'm not serving you, mm -hmm. you know? And so right. that's one of the ways that we have um, done it. Another way is that we don't, and I see a lot of women doing this, a lot of women overvalue the live offer. Like it's got to be taught live. I've got to coach live. Everything's got to be live. And that's how I you know, that's where the value is. And um, something that dropped in for us is that we're living in the age of the quantum. And one of the easiest ways to quantum somebody from one state to another is by what most people call the replay. And I just call it, you know, the quantum vortex. Because think about it. I could teach one hour of class every week for six weeks. Or you can get the replay and you have all six hours immediately. You could go through it in an afternoon and be done mm -hmm. and have all of those codes and transmissions and everything. And now I've collapsed time for you. Something that would have taken somebody else six weeks, you did it in a day. Mm -hmm. So I've just given you your time back. And so I've really been talking to a lot of, especially women in business, because men in business don't seem to struggle with that as much. But women in business are like, no, it's got to be live in order to be valuable. I'm like, that's not true. The codes are still there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know and so um and that what it does is it gives you your time back mm -hmm. because that thing that you taught can still be working and helping and supporting people even when you're on to something else you right. know and so then what you get is the compounded effect when it comes to the increase in your business and in your financial prosperity and things like that because you've unhooked your capacity to support somebody from your time. Right. And that's that's huge to be able to have that 
that wisdom ripple out through time while you're off doing something else, just like this podcast episode we'll be doing. Nobody's here for this live and it doesn't diminish the magic of it. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm so glad that we we found that out and understood that very early because there are Mm. courses that we taught 10 years ago that people still take and they're just like, this is exactly what I need right now. And I'm like, man, if we... We're like, it's got to be live. That wouldn't be available for that person because we're not teaching that anymore. Right. Right. It gets to be timeless. Yes. Yeah. So it sounds like there's there's a huge focus on adaptability and letting your joy and what feels good be the centerpiece and letting everything Mm -hmm. ripple out from there. Exactly. And I, I remember you said something in our last conversation about how a lot of women in business have sacrificed their joy for their their success mm-hmm. yeah and and I see that a lot and I think the way that you can have both is when you let the joy be the compass for the success exactly exactly so that's, that's what it would mean to do that in a more feminine way yeah exactly exactly mm-hmm. because what I what I've found out is that when I what I do it that way and and I've done it that way since we've been in business um what happens is I I have so much energy and I get so much done. I mean, that's one of the things that people are always amazed at. It's like, I don't understand how you are so calm and relaxed and you do all the things that you do. And I'm like, well, I, I believe in support, not because I need it, but because I want it. Mm-hmm. I like to um, have people do things for me. Mm-hmm. I enjoy that. A lot of women won't say that. Mm-hmm. I love having people serve me. I love giving them the opportunity to support me and to serve and to do things for me. And I love compensating them well for doing it. And I love that, that um, engagement, that type of, of relationship. Uh, It feels really good to me. And I've learned to love it. I didn't love it when I was younger because I was really taught, you know, the best way if you want it done right, do it yourself. And you know, mm-hmm. lazy and, you know, you need to take care of everything. And, and, and so I definitely came up in that school, but I learned the flaws in that is that what that gets you is an, an exhausted, tired existence, regardless of how successful you are. And so now, you know, anytime we're doing something, we always will map out what we want to do. Mm-hmm. And then in the course of us having a conversation about it, we'll say, okay, now how many of these things can we give to other people? And by giving it to other people, oh my gosh, how beautiful is this? I get to contribute to their livelihood and their wealth and they get to serve us with their genius. And so our people get to experience their genius because they're experiencing the graphics or the copy or what have you. So, and then we get to really offer, take all of our energy that we would normally use to do all of these things and place it all front and center for the people that we're teaching. Mm. And so our potency goes way up. The world is more abundant because we've paid so many people in different ways. We are more abundant because we're paying other people, but more people are coming into our universe because we're having more reach, right? You and and it just kind of feeds on itself and it gets bigger and bigger. And so that's that's the the um, the pattern in a nutshell. I love that, and it's it's like yeah, that allowing yourself to be supported because this is. 
this is part of what we talked about last time too, is like that independent, empowered woman archetype that like has to do it all herself. There's such a high value on that in our society, but like that is what leads to burnout. And if you can't allow people to support you, if you can't be open to receive, then you're you're gonna mm-hmm. run out of energy at some point. And and I think you have really helped me to soften out of a lot of that identity that I was carrying that also really disrupts polarity because then you have two people constantly in their young energy and then you've got a sword fight happening um, rather than spaciousness for penetration and receptivity to occur. Exactly, exactly. And that's, I mean, Baba has no patience for me being stressed. Like he just, that's just not in his, (laughs) that is not allowed in his world. (laughs) So if if something's happening and I'm like, if I make this face, he's like, what is going on? <laughs> I'm like, I was just trying to, and he's like, is something, is something about this not feeling good? If it, is it not working? Or are you just wanting to kind of unpack it a little bit and then we'll go through that process? And sometimes in the course of talking about it, I'm like, you know what? You know what's coming up? It's this one piece. It's that one piece that just doesn't really feel good to me. And he's like, okay, well, we won't do that piece. Or, you know, we'll get somebody else to do that piece. Or is that piece even necessary? You know? And so we'll really, um, we really lean into that um, when with Baba being a man and he's, you know, he spent a lot of time in corporate and he was, you know, bought billions of dollars in corporate spend when he was in corporate. And so he has a, um, a very, it's very easy for him to push through. And I think men have that, like men enjoy friction. I mean, look at their bodies. Yeah, so it affects them a little different than it affects us. And so um, so if it's if it's challenging. It doesn't bother him. You know, mm-hmm. he, he eats that. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, OK, let me figure out how to make this do what I want it to do. Like he loves that. Whereas me, I'm like, oh, it's not working. You know? <laughs> <I'm> like, <"Ugh." laughs> like, I don't have a whole lot in that bucket. I'm like, I, w- I want it to be like smooth and well lubed. Yeah. For me. And so, <laughs> and so, um, and so, you know, and he wants that for me. So he's like, well, yeah, let's make this as smooth and as easy as possible. So when I, when I just like when we were getting ready to do the podcast and something wasn't working and I'm like, I don't know why it's not doing the thing, you know, and so he'll say, <laughs> okay, we'll do this. And, you know, and he makes, he keeps it, he keeps everything well looped for me, you know, and I also respect that the fact that there is friction is, um, doesn't bother him at all. And so yeah. I, I learned very early on, I would try to like not want him to experience that. Like if something seemed like it wasn't working, I'd be like, what is it working? You know, let's make that stop happening. You're my king. I don't want you to have anything that's not the way you want it. Um, but what he told me was I'm a man and mm. that doesn't bother me. I love making things do what I want them to do. Mm. And I think that men need spaces where they could do that, especially because we have such a consent culture. And so in many cases, men are being taught, you know, like you can't do that with women well and good. And they do benefit from opportunities to experience that, that iron sharpening iron, you know, like that, that sparring against other men. I think that's why so many men escape into video games, because it's the one place where they can experience that without anybody telling them they're wrong. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So how, how, I guess my, my last kind of like question around this topic is as a female entrepreneur, 
let's say you have really tight financial margins or you you're already burnt out or you know you've got you're a single mom you got kids or like you don't have a man in the picture who can help provide some of that stability how do you recommend moving forward in a way that is honoring that feminine energy and not grinding to get past that situation yeah so i have a lot of women in my spaces who are in those kinds of situations precisely mm -hmm. what i tell them is to find a product a good product or service that they can offer and it may not be something they currently offer um, but find a good product or service that they can offer that people desire. And I know that sounds, that sounds obvious, but many women, because of how women enter into business, a lot of us are entering into business based on what we love mm. and what we are interested in, which may not necessarily connect to what people desire to purchase. Mm. And so I always, I, so what I tell them is find something that is, you can easily access that people desire to pay money for. And you can usually figure this out by looking at what people are already paying money for mm -hmm. um, and looking, you know, and you can kind of trace those lines and find something that's kind of similar, um, but your unique take on it if you're doing coaching or classes, et cetera, or maybe it's a product, you're selling a product um, that could always work too. And then put it as much as possible on autopilot. So teach it once and sell the repair replays um find a supplier and drop ship it uh find someone else who's who's taught on it that you absolutely love and be an affiliate of their work take mm -hmm. as much off your plate as you possibly can so that what you have is time and profit mm -hmm. as much profit as possible and as much time as possible and then as that you know it kind of compounds and it gets to be more and more, then you can do what we call using this to do that. So now that you've got this money that's coming in from this and you have this extra time, now you can take some of that money and you can decide what you want to do. You can take some of that money and reinvest it in supports. You can start with Fiverr or Upwork or, you know, uh, uh, con independent contractors and, you know, different things like that to get your supports in place so that you aren't stressing yourself. Mm -hmm. And you can use that extra time to find other products, goods, or services that you desire to sell. And so then you, what you do is you're able to build up so that when you are doing the thing that you are passionate about, you have spaciousness to do mm -hmm. it from the place of your inspiration and joy. Instead of taking, like, there's a reason why we have child labor laws, because children shouldn't be made to work. Right. Mm -hmm. And so our passions are often like our babies and we shouldn't mm -hmm. try to like force them to go out and make money. So I always picture right. like this little kid, like from Oliver Twist or something with a little hat on, like, OK, I'm going to make all the money. And so, <laughs> sometimes we do that with our passions when we we really need to love them and nourish them a bit. And then, yes, they might they they can be lucrative. Absolutely. We can monetize them. Absolutely. But in order to be able to do that in a way that feels good, we have to have the spaciousness to know that we don't have to do it that way in order to eat. Right. Right. Yeah. So there's a, a creating a greater spaciousness and passivity in the way money can flow in and freeing exactly. more of that time and energy. 
And it's, yeah, Elizabeth Gilbert said something in her book, I can't remember what it's called, like creating big magic or something about how when we put the pressure on our creativity to Mm -hmm. pay the bills, it's like it can suffocate that spark because now there's all this pressure to create instead of it coming from inspiration. So she recommends like, you know, if you're a musician, like have Mm -hmm. have a way that you like get the bread and butter to come through. And so your music can flow freely. Exactly. Until, and I until think it that's gets to a point important. where it supports you. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta have something that can that can meet that. Um, it's beneficial too because it gives you this freedom uh, in in ways that are so profound. You know, like, you know, if you think about it, even when you think about sex, it's like there's no quicker way to cause the orgasm to run away than to put pressure on yourself to have it. Exactly. <laughs> The more pressure you put, the further away it seems to go. So in the same way, you know, our our creativity and I think the juiciest, most potent expressions that we want to bring into this world require us to kind of surrender to the process through which they will be made manifest in this world. And that's hard to do when we are so pressured to monetize everything. Right. You know, um, I'll share this with you. You're actually the first person I'm sharing this with. It came through uh, last week. And it was that we are called and meant to bear fruit. But you cannot force something to bear fruit. It's only after the fruit is there that it is plucked from the tree and becomes produce. So if you try to put the produce before the fruiting... You end up with, what do we call that? You know, GMOs, processed foods and things of that nature that don't serve us, right? Wow. And how much, how often are we doing that very thing with our own creations? We're trying to force them to be produce before they're fruit. Fruit comes from within us. We ripen, we become juicy and it's like dribbling down our chins and we're full of sweetness and, and within it is contained the seed of all that can be. If we allow the fruit to come forward, but if we force it into being produce, then we actually, you know, sterilize the seed and everything looks like everything else. And we also dilute the potency of that which is nutritionally valuable for us and for the world. And so as women in business, it's important that we make our fruiting the center. Yeah. Oh, that is so powerful. I love that. It's very much in line with, you know, the day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit. And I think we are in a culture of such instant gratification that we don't want to give time for it to ripen. We don't want to take the time to embody everything we've been learning and really integrate. It's like, what's the next thing? And and so to give that space to really ripen and, and sink your teeth into those juices as they come into their fruition. Exactly. I think it's kind of funny that the things that are the juiciest take the longest to grow. Like you can grow radishes in like 35 days, but radishes are pretty like crispy and all. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But when you think about like trees and orchards Mm, and grapevines, you know, you think about mangoes. You know, Mm -hmm. the things that we think of as being the most juicy, even even like strawberries, if they're grown too fast, like I'm a gardener, so I love gardening. And if if you force them, sometimes you get they're red, but they're hard. You know, you have to let because usually that sweetness is added at the end, you know, so 
I think that there's there's something really powerful that's wanting to come through women uh, when it comes to the sweetening of humanity. I love that so much. That is that is a very potent note to wrap on, and I, I I'm going to be definitely just marinating in this for a long time. And um, yeah, really feeling how it's it's like women we we absolutely can do anything we want and and the how is what we need to get really clear on like how are we doing this is it is it filling our cup is it allowing my cup to run overflowing and am i giving from that full cup and i think that's that's where we get to have the the success and the joy be unified we get to have the money and the happiness but <laughs> if if we're putting the cart before the horse if we're putting the produce before the the ripening of the fruit then <laughs> we're going to be these exhausted dry wells and not be able to offer ourselves um, offer ourselves to this life in the fullest way that we can. That also gives back to us to the fullest way we can receive. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Wow. Sri Namaste. This has been such an absolute gift and honor to have you here. I have received so much from this and I'm, I'm sure my audience will too. And I just am so grateful for your generous wisdom and your presence. And just thank you so much for everything you've brought here today and all that you be in this world. <laughs> thank you. It has truly been a privilege and an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And if people want to go deeper into your world, how can they do that? Yeah. So you can find me everywhere. I'm on almost every social media platform. I am Namaste More on Instagram. Um, our website is theinfinitecouple.com. Um, and uh, I'm also Namaste More on Facebook. Uh, I am Namaste More on TikTok. We're on YouTube as The Infinite Couple. So you can find us everywhere. We're pretty prolific. And um, it will be a pleasure to connect with you. Just tell us where you found us so we'll know. <laughs> I love that so much. I personally am so looking forward to diving deeper into your work. And um, yeah, thank you everyone for joining us here today on Nectar, Sex and Soul. As always, please share this with somebody you love. This episode was so rich with so much gold. So please do pass this along to someone you love. If there was a nugget of wisdom that really came through for you from this podcast, do share it in your stories or somewhere that other people can benefit from us, tag us in it. And we will absolutely um, just so appreciate just the spreading of the words. And thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you, Shri Namaste. And have a beautiful day, everyone. Ciao. Thank you so much for dropping into Nectar, Sex, and Soul with me today. It's been a pleasure to connect with you. If this episode lit you up or illuminated something impactful for you in some way, I invite you to subscribe, leave a review, and share it with someone you feel would love to hear it. To learn more about my work, check out SoreyaLeonara.com, sign up for my newsletter, and follow me on Instagram and YouTube, where I share tons of free content, special offers, and ensure you're the first to know about my new offerings. I offer private coaching as well as courses, workshops, and retreats, so be sure to stay in touch if you'd like to go deeper together. Thank you, loves. Have a gorgeous day. Ciao.